Good evening. This is Ryan Underwood in the studio for From the Frontline. Tonight, we are confronting idolatry in the world today. We are joined in the studio by the Reverend Dr. Peter Hammond. Welcome, Dr. Hammond. Thank you, Ryan. A question to start us out with. What is idolatry, and where is it condemned in Scripture? Well, idolatry is placing of anything as more important than God and making a representation of God or worshipping images or false gods. There are more denunciations of idolatry than any other sin in the Bible. It is the most condemned sin in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, commandments and warnings against idolatry are the most repeated of all. In the Ten Commands, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Leviticus 19.4, do not turn to idols, nor make for yourself molded gods. I am the Lord your God. Ezekiel 14, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves away from your idols. Turn away from your faces from all your abominations. For everyone who sets up his idol in his heart, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. Galatians 5, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and like. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle John beseeches us in 1 John 5, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So obviously, the second command prohibits the idolatry of polytheistic religions like Hinduism, so idols of Kali, before whom devotees used to offer human sacrifices, Shiva, Krishna, Vishnu, all are obviously idols forbidden by the second command. But the Apostle Paul added in Galatians 1, The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the Lord's table and the table of demons or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 1 Corinthians 10. Moses wrote, They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed the demons, not to God. So Deuteronomy 32 makes clear that actually, idols are not just nothing. In many cases, idols represent demons who are behind them. So the law of God demands, You shall destroy their altars. You shall break their sacred pillars. You shall cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jehovah, is a jealous God. Exodus 34. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 7, The children gather wood. The fathers kindle the fire. The women knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger? Asked the Lord. Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, my anger, my fury will be poured out on its place and it will burn and it will not be quenched. So obviously idolatry is extremely condemned and God takes the strongest view against it. Israel committed idolatry on a nationwide scale in the Old Testament. Describe this idolatry for our hearers and explain what practical consequences national idolatry had for Israel's commonwealth. Well, God abandoned Jerusalem and even the temple to be destroyed twice. That's how serious idolatry was to him. When the sins of the Israelites turned to the sin of idolatry, 
God sent the Assyrians to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and lead his people into captivity. The southern kingdom of Judah was later conquered by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And that's why Ezekiel and Daniel were exiles away in uh, Babylon during the uh, first captivity. And uh, Ezra and Nehemiah returned from the exile, urging the people to resolve never again to compromise with idolatry. And of course, the sins that were particularly condemned were interracial marriage, marrying outside of the people of Israel, centralizing the state, uh, infanticide, killing babies, especially human and animal and child sacrifice, usury, uh, the bankers' greeds and so on, and uh, exploitation of the people and the workers. Um, all of this was heavily condemned. You could summarize this idolatry, immorality, ingratitude, interfaith worship, uh, and intermarriage with other races. All of those are the eyes that are continually condemned. In fact, you're going to go through all the prophets, not just the major prophets, but the minor prophets too. And they all condemn idolatry. And most of them condemn ingratitude, interfaith, interracial marriage, and uh, interfaith worship. These are regular sins of Israel that were national sins that led to God's wrath being poured out on a people. And those people who think that God has given any country a blank check, just need to look at the history of, of the state of Israel in the Bible, they were abandoned to external invaders, Assyria and Babylon, to be destroyed. And ultimately, with after the crucifixion of Christ, to the Romans coming and destroying Jerusalem and the temple again, you would have thought it's quite clear God did not give a blank check to the state of Israel or to anyone else. And nobody should ever think that they are beyond the judgment of God. Our idolatry invites the judgment of God. The 14th of July was Bastille Day in France. This holiday marks a symbolic start of the French Revolution. What really happened on the 14th of July, 1789? Well, if you want to listen to the propaganda narrative, it's the storming of the Bastille and freeing a whole lot of political prisoners. Only there were no political prisoners in the Bastille. There were four common criminals and a couple of insane people, but uh, no political prisoners, so it's, it's, um, the storming of the Bastille wasn't quite as glamorous as they made out. In fact, the governor of the fortress uh, chose to, under a white flag of truce, surrender under guarantee of protection of himself and his soldiers, who were then beheaded and their body parts were carried through the streets by a very treacherous mob. And uh, plainly, the storming of the Bastille was not the... Uh, romantic picture that they've often put on the uh, pictures and the whole image. In fact, the French Revolution was nothing worth celebrating at all. The French Revolution was one of the most influential events in modern history. Uh, it went from eight, 1789 to 1799. That first 10 years, France went from a monarchy to a republic, to a reign of terror, to a dictatorship. And uh, that was one of the most tumultuous times in European history. And many people have heard the first part of the slogan, liberty, equality, fraternity. But that's not the full statement. The full statement is liberty, equality, fraternity, or morte. Liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. What are we celebrating in the French Revolution? Over 40,000 people lost their heads to the guillotine. 300,000 more people were publicly executed by firing squads, drownings, other methods of mass murder. Ultimately, millions died in the 25 years of war and upheavals that resulted from the French Revolution or revolution as they like to call it. 
And what's most important to note is the French Revolution has been the inspiration and the model for all socialist communist revolutions in history. As so many today seem entranced by the deceptive promises of communism and revolution, you just need to see what's been going on in the streets in America, like with the BLM and Antifa writers, who are plainly inspired by the French Revolution, which is the prototype of all revolutions. Uh, you can see where it's going if you just look at the French Revolution. Now, over 30 years ago, the Iron Curtain fell and satellite states of the Soviet Union broke free. The Soviet Union collapsed and the world rejoiced in the new birth of freedom. Yet today, there is an entire generation who are ignorant of the fact that they've been lied to and used to advance a failed evil system under the delusion that they're working for a better and more just world. But those of us who fought against communism during the Cold War need to remind the younger generation of the reality, which destroys the modern propaganda narrative being taught on so many university campuses and broadcast under guise of news on the disinformation networks like the Clinton News Network and the uh, Slime Magazine and the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, the mainstream lamestream media is still covering up for one of the worst catastrophes and crimes in the history of the world. The communist revolution of the 20th century is so bad, but you go to Eastern Europe and you go to Russia and speak to people there, and they will tell you what communism was really like. And for people to glamorize it and to think it was somehow wonderful will explain the euphoria when the Berlin Wall came down, when the Iron Curtain collapsed, and why the mobs of people were pulling down the statues of Lenin and Marx and Trotsky and Stalin and uh, all the others, Dzerzhinsky, all these communist tyrants, all over not just the old Soviet Union, but throughout Africa, even uh, outside Addis Ababa and Ethiopia, pulling down this massive 90-foot statue of Vladimir Lenin, the rejoicing of the people to be free from these symbols of communism. But um, it was so uh, well put by Lord Acton in his lectures on the French Revolution the appalling thing in the French Revolution is not the tumult, but the design. To all of fire and smoke, we perceive the evidence of calculating organization. The managers remain studiously concealed and masked, but there's no doubt about their presence from the first. And uh, communism was the most malicious, destructive system in the history of mankind, and the French Revolution at its heart was actually communist. Communist uh, malice and hatred to God is at its core. God's covenant people have beaten communism and revolution before and we must defeat it again because it's rising up in our streets. It's seen today in the BLM and Antifa movements and EFF and um, the Mugabe, Manangagwa, uh, Zanu PF Zimbabwe and all over the world from communist red China to North Korea. The tools of the French Revolution were disinformation, propaganda, subversion of language, malice, envy, hatred, jealousy, mass murder, and foreign military adventurism as a diversion to distract the masses from the failure of government. These tools have been implemented by more modern revolutionaries like Vladimir Lenin and Trotsky, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, Patrice Lumumba in the Congo, Nicolae Ceausescu of Romania, Pol Pot of Cambodia, Ho Chi Minh of Vietnam, Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe. The power mad and the disenchanted have continued to sing the praises of the French Revolution and to attempt to replicate its ideals in revolutions as far afield as Russia and China, Cuba, North Korea, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Ethiopia, Mozambique, Angola, the Congo and Zimbabwe, where I've had first-hand experience ministering to the victims of communism in these countries. Demonic forces and the enlightenment ideas of humanist philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Voltaire prepared the ground for revolution, and the result was massacres and destruction. It's been well summarized by 
historian Otto Scott, whose book Robespierre Inside the French Revolution is probably the finest book I've ever read in the French Revolution. Otto Scott said, French intellectuals, middle and upper classes, had grown ashamed of their country, of their history and their institutions. Such a phenomenon had never before arisen in any nation or race throughout the long history of mankind. A great loosening began. The country slowly came apart. For the first time since the decadent days of Rome, pornography emerged from its caves and circulated openly in a civilized society. The Catholic Church in France was intellectually gutted. The priests had lost their faith along with the congregations. Strange cults appeared, sex rituals, black magic, Satanism. Perversion became not only acceptable but fashionable. Homosexuals held public balls to which heterosexuals were invited. The police guarded their carriages. The air grew thick with plans to restructure and re reconstruct all traditional French society and institutions. Now that's a quote from Robespierre Inside the French Revolution by Otto Scott. And here's another quote. The heirs of the Enlightenment of the late 18th century launched the first revolution in all of history against the ideas of Christianity and Christianity's God. The press was spearhead, font and fuel for these discussions. The journals were mixtures of politics and smut. And they admired agitators extravagantly. They never discussed the church without mention of scandal. They never mentioned the government without criticism. They relied heavily on tales of sin in high places, high-handed outrages and scandals of the court. No name, however highly placed and illustrious, escaped. Through its journals and pamphlets, the press discolored, coloured, pleaded, argued, lied, reported and misreported the information on which the whole balance of the realm depended. All that a quote from historian Otto Scott. Well, the French involvement in the American War of Independence against Great Britain had created an enormous debt for France. And this economic debt added to the financial crisis which had started with France's involvement in the earlier ruinous Seven Years' War against Great Britain and Prussia. Now, the colossal debt owed to these bankers using usury, which meant the astronomical um, interest being charged, really kept into perpetuity so that people would be paying for a war and, and uh, bankrupting themselves and financial decisions made hundreds of years before. And this colossal debt added to the financial crisis which propelled the French state into bankruptcy. King Louis XVI began his reign wisely. He dismissed the large numbers of corrupt and competent ministers that he inherited from the court of his father, Louis XV. He appointed excellent economist Anne-Robert Jacques Turgot as the controller general. And Turgot proposed drastic solutions to France's crisis. Cancellation of tax privileges for the nobles, in other words, everyone pays taxes, nobody exempt, the abolition of industrial monopolies, the removal of restrictions on free enterprise, and other bold practical measures. But the nobles pressured Louis XVI to dismiss Turgot, which actually signed a death warrant with hindsight. The young banker Jacques Necker then was given the task of managing this unmanageable bankrupt economy. He bravely tried some short-term measures to stave off the inevitable economic collapse. But when he attempted to move towards supporting Togo's free market strategies, the privileged nobles and wealthy middle classes forced the king to dismiss him as well. And that was in 1781. Louis then entrusted one poor hapless man after another with a financial crisis, but all to no avail. France's international credit rating was plummeting, the country was no longer able to secure loans, and by mid-1788 the government had become paralysed, no longer able to avoid admitting bankruptcy. The king was forced to reinstate Necker and call for a meeting of the Estates General to be convened May 1789. And this is the prelude to the French Revolution. Economic bankruptcy, irresponsibility, 
foreign wars, usury. The states general consisted of three houses. The first estate was the clergy, the second estate were the nobles, and the third estate were the merchants and common people. And although the third house had twice as many people as the other houses, each house was understood historically to have one vote. And so this is meant to be a checks and balances system. But Louis's government failed to specify how the three houses of the Estates General were to function. They didn't provide them with an agenda or a constitution, which, with hindsight, was a mistake. The commoners of the Third House boldly organised themselves into a self-contained National Assembly, and the nobles were outraged and convinced Louis XVI to send troops to blockade the hall where the Assembly planned to meet. The Third Estate met on a nearby tennis court and vowed to continue in session until they could complete a new constitution for the nation. Now that was outright rebellion against the authority of the king. And yet, on the 27th of June, 1789, Louis ordered the other two estates to join the commoners in a new combined assembly, basically giving them carte blanche. The National Assembly now spent most of its time debating the latest philosophical political theories and uh, the Marquis de, la, de Lafayette, who had achieved fame through his involvement in the American War of Independence, espoused the cause of freedom, not that he particularly knew what that meant, um, because France did not have the Protestant evangelical foundation that America had for the cause of liberty, and America was also basing itself on Magna Carta and on historic foundations of law, freedom through law. But nevertheless, the ideas of liberty were great, it's just as they had the wrong foundation for achieving it. An account of Mirabeau, dominated the assembly through eloquent campaigning. Um, he was for constitutional assembly, a constitutional monarchy, actually. The most fanatical extremists gravitated to Maximilian Robespierre, who was a strong devotee of the writings of the radical philosophers Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Voltaire, who were radical secular humanists. Rousseau wrote that it's necessary to have a cohesive force to organize and coordinate the majority of members of society. And Rousseau advocated for constant agitation for equality, to maintain an atmosphere of fear where any individual differences are not tolerated. And so inspired by the defiance of the assembly and stirred up by the revolutionary pamphlets and speeches, mobs began to roam the streets of Paris and attacking and murdering royal officials to create the spirit of fear where nobody is willing to speak out against the mob. Sort of thinks how Wayne Tifa gets the ideas from. France's financial house of cards collapsed, capital fled the country, why would you want to invest in a country so unstable? Economic depression resulted, which saw part of the plan. A series of events now combined to create food shortages and hunger. Agitators panned out across the countryside, destroying grain sores, terrorizing inhabitants, burning down barns. Mobs were hired to stage spontaneous riots in Paris. It all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? The powers of government collapsed. Everything fell apart with astonishing coordination. Now, in reaction, some of the nobles pressured the king to seek to reassert royal authority, always at the worst time. Soldiers were ordered onto the streets of Paris as a show of strength, but the appearance of the soldiers inspired the mobs to seize whatever weapons they could and to storm the old fortress of Bastille. And so the French Revolution officially dates from this point, the 14th of July, 1789. Bastille became a symbol of hated tyranny, and a lot of legend grew out of the event. There were no political prisoners at the Bastille, at the time, and despite the fact that Lieutenant Governor of the Bastille, M. Delorny, was guaranteed safe conduct and surrendered the fortress under a white flag of truce, the mob massacred his soldiers and the governor, cutting off their heads and parading them on spikes through the streets. 
Body parts of defenders were paraded through the streets. A mere seven prisoners were found in the Bastille, four common criminals and two insane people. When the news reached the Palace of Versailles, King Louis was astonished. This is revolt, he said. And the Duc de Roquefort Le Court responded, No, sire, it is a revolution. Well, the next day, King Louis bravely arrived, simply dressed with no bodyguards, no attendants, and spoke at the National Assembly. He ordered his troops to leave Paris so the people would have no reason to fear their king. Louis assured them he had confidence in the assembly, which was awfully naive. The deputies rose to their feet, cheering with great fervour, and 88 of the deputies gathered on the Paris City Hall, taking turns to speak to the enormous crowd from the balcony, and the famous 32-year-old Lafayette was elected General of the National Guard. And some people seemed optimistic for the future, but Mary Antoinette, doubtless the most intelligent person in the palace, was filled with foreboding and burned her private papers. Nobles fled the country and, and the court. Many settled across the border. On the 17th of July, the king travelled to Paris to identify with the revolutionary mob. In October, a mob march of a sign demanded the king transfer his residence to Paris, where they could control him more. On the 6th of October, the royal family were escorted by rioters to Paris, where they could be under the control of the revolutionaries. In the pictures, you often see the women escorting them, but actually many of them were men with beards, uh, with wearing dresses, who were pushing them uh, along and escorting them there. So it was more like a bunch of transvestite uh, cross-dressers uh, than women, even though that's the way the media has often tried to portray it. Otto Scott said, Paris, like the nation, was divided into the politically active and the passive, between the many confused, disorganized and abstracted, to the highly concentrated, organized and intent few. And that's a fact. Two clubs came to dominate the assembly at this time. They didn't have political parties, they had clubs. The Cordeliers were led by Georges-Jacques Danton and Jean-Paul Marat, and the Jacobins were skillfully manipulated by Robespierre. The Jacobins were like the communists of their time. Now, it's in the French Revolution that the terms left-wing and right-wing were first coined. Those on the left were the radicals, who proudly adopted the designation of, as a symbol of the revolutionary defiance of Christian tradition, because the Bible always represents those on the right hand of God as the saved, the sheep, and so on, those on the left as the goats, the damned. And so, as James Billington in Fire in the Minds of Men, Origin of Revolutionary Faith documents, the very concept of left-wing and right-wing dates from the French Revolution, and it was a self-consciously adopted, we are the left, we are the damned, we are the goats, we are the enemies of God. And so, those people who want to describe themselves as left-wing Christians should just consider the imbecility and contradiction of that stand. Left-wing is even the Bible says in Proverbs, a fool's heart is on his left side. And uh, some people have asked me, how do you get to heaven? I said, you turn right and you go straight. Well, on the 4th of August, 1789, the nobles and clergy renounced their privileges in the name of revolutionary equality, whatever that means. Then the assembly voted to confiscate church property and issue paper money called assignees. Now, this sparked of rampant inflation. Always happens in revolutions. They produce their own money and it produces worthless currency. Massive inflation. Um, barrels of money and wheelbarrows of money won't be able to buy a loaf of bread. In July 1790, the Assembly nationalized the Roman Catholic Church and enacted the civil constitution of the clergy. And the Assembly undertook to pay the salaries of the priests from the National Treasury. But he who pays the piper calls a tune. And this is all for control to create a French clergy under control of the government, meaning the revolutionaries. Pope Pius VI excommunicated all clergymen who took the new oath demanded by the assembly, quite rightly. Most of the clergy refused to take the oath, 
and were therefore evicted from their parishes, their pulpits, and their homes. France is now divided into 83 departments or counties. The Revolutionary Assembly produced now a declaration of the rights of man and of citizens. Although it was apparently patented on the English Bill of Rights of 1689, the American Bill of Rights, which had been appended to the United States Constitution, the French Declaration embodied mostly humanistic ideals of the Enlightenment. And while attempting to adopt many of the forms of the biblically oriented Magna Carta in the English Bill of Rights, the French Declaration of Rights of Man failed to recognize the Creator and ignored the biblical foundations for true freedom. So the new constitution was completed in 1791 with a unicameral legislative one house elected by active citizens, which meant supporters of the revolution. You only had to vote if you were part of the revolution. And uh, that's pretty typical as well. Well, Louis XVI um, recognized that something was going wrong, and so he attempted now at last to flee with his family from France on the night of 20th of June, 1791. Probably put up with it. This is probably what the revolutionaries wanted, to get an excuse. And when the radicals discovered them, they blocked their path, escorted the royal family back to Paris. They'd probably fallen into a trap. Danton and Robespierre now seized on this event as the opportunity to proclaim France is now a republic. Effectively, by attempting to flee, the royal family have resigned. That's the logic they used. Of course, they were fleeing for their lives because they'd been warned you're going to be killed. Uh, so they were going into a trap. The new legislative assembly met the 1st of October 1791 and the Girondists proposed replacing the just-appointed constitution and creating a republic. Deeply concerned for the fate of the royal family, Austria ruled by the brother of Marie Antoinette, Leopold II, he prepared to invade France. So the assembly declared war on Austria in 1792, and the French were soon defeated by the Austrians and the Prussians. I mean, what they expect? They're just a bunch of rabble. The mob stormed the king's residence and massacred the royal Swiss guards who died to the last man protecting the queen. The assembly voted to depose the king and to write a new constitution. 10th of August 1792, the municipal government was overthrown. Danton became the self-appointed national dictator. The entire male population was now drafted for military service. Weapons production entered high gear. In September 1792, terrorist mobs swarmed through the prisons and massacred thousands of prisoners, including many nobles who had been arrested for no other reason than being of the upper class. So a new national convention was called 21st of September 1792 to write a new constitution. That would be the third constitution since the revolution. In December, the convention summoned the deposed king, Louis Capet, as they now called him, and on 21st of January 1793, King Louis XVI was actually beheaded on the, on the guillotine. And uh, all of Europe was now horrified and a coalition was formed against France with Austria, England, Holland, Prussia, Spain and Piedmont all preparing to restore order to France and prevent exporting this revolution to their own regions. So the Jacobins, the Marxists effectively, mobilized the mob to invade the convention and arrest the 31 leading Girondists. They launched the Reign of Terror, which officially began the 2nd of June, 1793. Robespierre uh, organized the Committee for Public Safety. Don't you like the title? Committee for Public Safety. It sounds like the Department of Homeland Security, which is what KGB, by the way, stands for in Russian. A policy of mass public terror was unleashed. Revolutionary tribunals summarily tried enemies of the revolution. Just an accusation was enough to, to get a verdict of guilt. Trials were abrupt. There was no real opportunity granted to the accused to prepare or present any defense. 
The accused were quickly convicted and carted off, literally carted off in open carts to the guillotine, which is a beheading device. The Queen, 38-year-old Mary Antoinette, was now dragged to the mockery of a trial and guillotined on the 16th of October. Uh, just to show you how wicked, evil, and antichrist the um, revolutionaries were, they not only hung many priests, dis desecrated many churches, and actually installed a, a prostitute on a high altar in Notre Dame as the goddess of reason, but they took away the son of Mary Antoinette and um, turned him into a cursing drunkard. And when they finally let him die of neglect and hunger, they told Mary Antoinette, don't expect to see your son when you get to heaven. Uh, he's going to be in hell with us. Uh, he died renouncing his faith and cursing God and drunk. So uh, just to hurt Mary Antoinette by going through her son, that's the kind of vile demons these revolutionaries were. So again, what is anyone celebrating in the French Revolution? So now, uh, after the Queen was beheaded, 21 Girondist leaders, including Madame Roland, was also beheaded shortly after the Queen, who had been cheering hers. It's amazing how many people who guillotined others end up in the same guillotine themselves. The Duke of Orleans, who had just joined the Jacobins and taken name Citizen Egalitaire, even voting for the death of his cousin, the king, he was also executed at this time. Now, romantic occultism taught a Big Bang theory of social science. If you could blow up enough things, burn down enough buildings, kill enough people, destroy enough things, you can produce utopia. And on this kind of ideal, the reign of terror spread throughout France. Every city that sought to resist was destroyed. The revolutionaries put up a pillar outside Lyon saying, Lyons wage war with liberty. Lyons is no more. And Toulon was subjected, uh, subjugated under leadership of the young artillery officer from Corsica, Napoleon Bonaparte, who said, I have seen people, and people are savages. He said, you cannot reason with a mob. You can only give them the whiff of grape shot. And he said, he witnessed the storming of the palace and uh, the massacre of the Swiss guards. He said, the king was foolish to have force and cannon not to use it. He said, if I ever face a mob, I will turn a cannon on him, which he did later. And he gave the mob the whiff of grape shot, as he called it, grape shot being a lot of small cannonballs shot out at the same time like a shotgun. And uh, Napoleon had contempt for the mob on the street. And uh, he recognized that, as he said, he saw the crown lying in the gutter and he picked it up at the tip of his sword. Uh, he said he did, not, um, he did not steal a crown. It was lying in the gutter. And he said the people put it on his head which in a sense was true because he offered some stability after the revolutionaries had wrecked France. Well, a committee of public safety launched a vicious atheistic attack on Christianity. They invented new religion, which they called the cult of reason. And at a festival in Notre Dame in Paris, a prostitute was enthroned as the goddess of the French people, and France was renamed the Republic of Virtue. Don't you love the terms? Republic of Virtue. Ancient Rome was now its model. The press and theatres were turned into instruments for state propaganda. Fashions changed to immoral, loose Roman robes. And the 2,000 churches in France were renamed Temples of Reason and hijacked for the promotion of this humanistic cult. As the historian Arnold Toynbee said, in a revolution, a sinister ancient religion suddenly erupted with elemental violence. The fanatical worship of collective human power. The terror was only the first of the mass crimes that had been committed in this evil religion's names. And I think as we look at what's been going on nowadays, we understand where it came from. Well, the revolutionaries obviously turned on one another. Danton was executed 5th of April, 1794. 7th of May, Robespierre sought to impose a new religion on the people of France. 
declaring a new calendar to start um, with the 21st of September 1792, the day that the monarchy came to an end, was declared day one of the first year of the revolutionary calendar. Robespierre appointed himself as high priest of this new cult, and they determined to replace the Christian calendar, including not a seven-day work week, but a ten-day work week, and so on. Well, by the 27th of July 1794, Robespierre and his 20-main henchmen were seized and executed by the survivors of the convention. 40,000 victims had been murdered on the guillotine under the reign of terror, and Robespierre was one of the last. And as Madame Roland was being ushered up the platform to be guillotined, she faced the statue of the goddess Liberty and cried, O Liberty, Liberty, what crimes are committed in thy name? Well, the end of the reign of terror was not the end of the French Revolution. It would be followed by the Directory and by the Dictatorship, which continued until Napoleon's empire embroiled all of Europe in a ruinous war. But even after the death of Robespierre, the revolution continued to talk about liberty and equality and to fight against the Christian faith and to inspire more communes, more voices of virtue and more revolutionaries like Lenin, Stalin, Fidel Castro, Mao Zedong and Robert Mugabe. And we could name a few other people of the BLM, Antifa crowd and EFF today. The French Revolution was the prototype and it's been followed by the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, the Chinese Revolution, the Cuban Revolution, the Cambodian Revolution, the Vietnamese Revolution, the Ethiopian Revolution, the Mozambican Revolution, the Angolan Revolution, and the Zimbabwe Revolution, many others. But in every case, they proved yesterday's revolutionaries become tomorrow's tyrants and dictators. 2 Peter 2.19 sums it up. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. So that's what people are really worshipping when they are celebrating the French Revolution. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for describing the idolatry behind the French Revolution. Your description reminds us that idolatry leads to the shedding of innocent blood, whether it was the French Revolution in the 18th century or the Communist Revolution in Russia in the 20th century. Idolatry inevitably leads to the shedding of innocent blood. Now... Uh that is so important, and especially as we remember yesterday on the 17th of July, the Romanovs, the Russian royal family, were brutally murdered by Marxists during the Bolshevik Revolution. And that's just another example of how adultery inevitably leads to the shedding of innocent blood. And all revolutions are human-sacrificing cults, actually, death cults. Even over 104 years after this horrific event, disinformation and distortion obscure many facts. Wikipedia, which is such an unreliable, dishonest, anti-Christian force, has the audacity to entitle the event The Execution of the Romanov Family. Now, how the brutal, sadistic murder of not only Tsar Nicholas II, but his wife Alexandra, and their five children, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, how that could be described as an execution defies belief. There was no legal trial, there was no due process, there was no defence counsel, there was not even any charge. How can an entire family be guilty of any capital crime? Not only was the entire royal family murdered, even their doctor and their personal attendants, including Eugene Botkin, Anna Demidova, Alexei Trump and Ivan uh, Karanodzon, none of them plead guilty of any crime, none of them were guilty of any crime. Even the family dog was killed in this. How can a brutal sadistic massacre, which dragged out over 20 minutes, be described as an execution? Investigations conclude over 70 bullets were fired into the Romanov family and their attendants. Yet after that barrage of gunfire, all of the five children were still alive. They were then beaten with rifle butts and bayoneted multiple times. The savage violence lasted for over 20 minutes. And as has been shown since, 
The bodies were then stripped, mutilated, disfigured with sulfuric acid to make identification extremely difficult. They were dumped down a mine shaft which had hand grenades thrown in to attempt to collapse the mine shaft. When it was decided the pit was too shallow, the remains were reburied in a swampy remote area and barrels of petrol, kerosene and sulfuric acid was used in an attempt to conceal evidence of this crime. The bodies were further attacked and smashed with spades and the remains burned in a bonfire. Now this is only evidence of sadistic malice and an attempt to cover up a crime. How then can it be described by Wikipedia as an execution? Yet we have school textbooks that refer to this hideous atrocity, this demonic massacre, as an execution. From the very beginning, the Bolsheviks and their apologists have attempted to cover up the facts of the murder of the Russian, the Romanov royal family, which took place on the 17th of July. And uh, today we're on the 18th of, of July. So important that we remember innocent victims of communism, and they weren't the last. They might have been some of the first, but millions, something like 66 million people, mostly Christians, were killed by the Bolshevik mobs over the next 70 years of the communist Soviet Union disaster, as is documented by the Black Book of Communism and uh, Death by Government, uh, the greatest Russian author of the 20th century, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, has said, everyone talks about the six million supposedly killed in Germany during the Second World War, but who speaks about the 66 million Christians killed by Jews in the Soviet Union? And uh, unfortunately, he's pointing out something that, why do we not have films on the Soviet Holocaust, on the gulags, on uh, the murder of the Russian royal family? Why is it that um, that part of world history is, is somewhere you're not meant to go. And Solzhenitsyn said, the reason why you don't hear about this in the West is because the perpetrators control the media in the West. Solzhenitsyn came to the West and said, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, we don't have any freedom of the press. And we're not surprised because there's one party and they control the press. And so the media speaks with one voice behind the Iron Curtain and it's the voice of the government, but it's run by one party. Now I'm in the West, the free democratic West. Your media also talks with one voice. And it's the same voice I heard behind the Iron Curtain. Who controls the media in the West? And at that point, it's like Solzhenitsyn died. You didn't hear from him in the West again. And when I mentioned it, some people said, is he still alive? And he still was. Berlin Wall came down, Soviet Union collapsed. He went back to Russia. His books became standard textbooks in the Russian schools. Uh, Vladimir Putin has made his books like the Gulag Archipelago and One Day in Life of Ivan Denisovich textbooks in the Russian schools. Um, but the West ignored Solzhenitsyn because he committed the unforgivable sin. He questioned the integrity and the uh, truthfulness of the Western media and that they're actually controlled by someone. And I think that's something that explains why we still have idolatry and covering up of the atrocities of the Marxists. Are there examples of national idols in the 21st century? And how can we oppose and destroy those idols today? Well, yes, we certainly have idols. Um, let me mention, obviously we know that there was Vladimir Lenin's tomb where people went by the millions to look, walk past their dead god in this pyramid-like Egyptian abode of the dead in Red Square. Uh, so Lenin was an idol in, in Moscow, but, you know, so is Lincoln in Washington, D.C. To go to Washington, D.C. and walk up the mall, as I've done, it's quite a shock when you get to this temple at the end, and it is a temple. You walk in, and in the marble above, it says, in this temple, as in the hearts of a people, for whom he saved the nation, Abraham Lincoln um, will live forever, 
in their hearts. It's it's all religious terms. Forever, um, saved, uh, temple, uh, and uh, you know that he actually saved the nation. Things like this. That, and Abraham Lincoln's not uh, depicted like most statues are, two and a half to three and a half times the size of a real person. But that must be on the fifteen to twenty time scale and he's seated not in a chair but on a throne and it's an imperial throne it's a Roman imperial throne and it's even got the fascist symbols that Mussolini would have had at that time symbolizing the Italian uh, fascist party uh, that's what his hands are on built in 1930s this temple of Lenin has a Lincoln sorry uh, sitting it's easy to confuse Lincoln Lenin they both saved the Union one saved the Soviet Union fighting against the South um, which in that case was Ukraine and the other saved the uh, Union of of America, uh, both of them were total failures in early life, uh, legal people, um, uh, failures in everything they ever tried until they got into politics, and then they caused huge massacres, great loss of life, but they are idolized by the people for having saved the Union. So there's a great sermon by George Grant, which you can actually listen to on Sermon Audio, on Lincoln and Lenin, and it's it's worthwhile listening to his incredible analysis of the overwhelming amounts of similarities between Lincoln and Lenin. And they, of course, both idols of the country. So as Lenin is an idol of the Soviet Union, Lincoln is an idol of the United States, certainly of the Yankee part of the United States. And in, in Britain, Winston Churchill is irrationally hero-worshipped as some kind of the greatest man of the 20th century and nonsense like that. In South Africa, of course, it's Nelson Mandela, and you've got Mao Zedong and Red Channel. I don't know that Mao's that worshipped today, but he was at one stage. And Mugabe was in Zimbabwe. There's no doubt you've got a lot of idols in the world today. But the kind of idols you get in most of the West today would be pop idols, rock idols, sex idols, movie idols, sports idols, political idols. And you can tell this easily by what do people defend in, in arguments. So I've heard Christians, uh, I've seen Christians do absolutely nothing when someone takes the Lord's name in vain. But if you criticize their favorite politician or sports team or movie star, then Chernobyl erupts and they can be very animated to defend their politician, their political idol or their sports idol or their um, uh, actual sex idol, um, movie idol, whatever it is. And they've even got programs on TV, I believe, called Idols. I mean, how blatant is that? So, yes, we have idolatry today. And uh, I think many people have made an idol of, of their political party or their sports team or some TV actor or something like that. Absolutely bizarre. I understand that there's a course coming up in January of 2024 that would help the participants to face and oppose the idolatry of their day. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Certainly, that's our Biblical Worldview Summit. Every year we try to run a Biblical Worldview Summit, which is a week-long intensive body, mind and spirit, boots on the ground, active. We tackle worldviews, we tackle issues, hard issues, uh, contemporary issues, so we wouldn't shy away from the uh, climate hoax, uh, the LGBTQ, COVID cult, masquerade madness, uh, plandemics and uh, scamdemics and the LGBTQ gender confusion, how to uh, gender mutilate and call it gender firming surgery, you know, body mutilation and stuff like that. We will tackle the hard issues and um, entertainment or, or exploitation, indoctrination or education. There's a whole lot of things we need to understand. And so Biblical Worldview Summit is a lot of fun. It's held in Cape Town. We have water sports, practical activities, outreaches, mountain climbing, all sorts of things are part of a Biblical Worldview Summit. We've been running for over 20 years. Actually, over 30 years we've been doing Biblical Worldview Summits. And 
uh, super popular people have come from all over the world for them. And we would tackle things like revolution and how to resist the spirit of revolution in the world today. And certainly how to resist, recognize and resist idolatry. We want to worship God alone. We want to fear God alone. We want to love God above all and wholeheartedly. We don't want to be manipulated and uh, lied to by the, deceived by the world. How can our hearers find out more about the Biblical Worldview Summit and where can they find more resources to confront idolatry? Please visit www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa, short for South Africa.org. Frontlinemissionsa.org. You find uh, links, webs, articles, videos, PowerPoints, lectures, uh, sermon audios, a whole lot of things, and upcoming events, including the upcoming Biblical Worldview Summit and the Great Commission course, which is a three-week missions course that includes the Biblical Worldview Summit. Also, other upcoming events and uh, learn about projects that we're involved in that need support. You can see our Gifts and Go uh, page and posters. Other major upcoming events are to remember the Persecute Church. The second Sunday in November is always International Day of Prayer for the Persecute Church. This year, that'll be the 12th of November. You can find on our www.idop-africa.org website, IDOP, short for International Day of Prayer, idop-africa.org website, um, how you can mobilize your church, Bible study, school, to remember the persecuted, learn from the persecuted, pray for and serve the persecuted, and what we can do to teach on what the Bible says about persecution, where people are suffering persecution today. 400 million Christians in the world today live under governments that persecute the church. And more Christians have died in the last century for their faith than in the previous 19 centuries combined. So we're living in a time of incredible intolerance against Christianity. And as you see, it's even coming to Western nations too, where you're not allowed to think differently and where you can even be arrested in Great Britain for praying on the sidewalk silently, opposite an abortion clinic, and the police come along saying there's a no-prayer zone. Can you imagine Great Britain, a no-prayer zone on a public street for a person praying silently? Uh, this is the kind of situation we're getting into in the world. So we need to understand the times and know what God's people should do. And we don't want to conform to this world. We want to be transformed by the word of God. That's the goal of a Great Commission course, not to be made captive by the ideologies of this world that are not based on Christ. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for speaking with us about confronting idolatry in the world today. And thank you to our hearers for joining us. This is Ryan Underwood in the studio for From the Frontline. God bless and good night.